0: Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with veteran Boston-based jazz guitarist and educator Eric Hoffbauer. We had a wide-ranging talk about his new 2023 CD called Wake Up. It is a reboot of the Five Agents Ensemble from Book of Water. He is the chair of the Jazz and Contemporary Music at Longy School of Music of Bard College where he teaches jazz theory, chamber ensemble, solo repertoire class, guitar lessons, and much more. For over 20 years, he has taught jazz history at Emerson College. He has performed and recorded Alongside greats like Roy Campbell Jr., Cecil McBee, George garzona the great Matt Wilson, he's got a great story. Enjoy this
1: interview. Hi, Joe. How you doing? Hey, I'm good, man. What's going on? Good. uh not much. Well, a lot, but you know. Yeah, I okay. hear I <laughs> 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 Nice to meet you, man. Are you in Boston? I'm in Boston. Yes, right on. Yeah, I'm in Kansas City. So, uh, yeah, I noticed the hour difference. Yeah, 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 yeah. Notice yeah. The central time thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, man, cool. it's great to catch up with you about the new album, about surviving COVID, everything that's going on. And I think probably the name of your album is probably apropos for these post-pandemic times with Wake Up. So, um, <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, before for, we...
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. And, yeah, uh, for sure. And before we,
1: before we get into Wake Up, you know, we all survived the last three years with COVID. It was quite a time, especially for the jazz community. How did you survive it? And how has it changed you? Uh, great question. I would say um,
2: I survived it. Believe it or not, the two institutions that I teach at, I teach at Emerson College, which is in Boston. I do a bunch of lecturing there, jazz history. Um, and then I'm the um, chair of the jazz department at a small conservatory called the Longy School of Music, which is affiliated with Bard College. And that's a graduate program. Um, and both of those stayed open. Um, With some pretty severe, you know, safety precautions in place and distancing, masking, no, no public, no audience for the students to perform, you know, at, but we had classes, we had even ensembles. Um Singing was the challenging part. We didn't really have people singing, but we had yeah. people playing. Um, so that was going on and um definitely kept all the student spirits up and the faculty and everybody. So that was good and kept it, you know, kept me busy. Um, kind of as administrator too of that, you know, navigating like, uh oh, so and so has COVID, you know, we're kind of running, you know, the running through that, those early days of, you know, the vaccine and things like that, where you didn't want to have a breakout in the school. We never really did have like a super spreader. We always just had little pockets of students that got sick and it was usually from their roommates or because they traveled or something, you know, wasn't school related. So. That took up a lot of my time and that was a good thing because there were barely any gigs. Um, and then in the summers that we'd get some out, outdoor gigs with various projects I had. Um, so, uh, and i and, and of course it's hard to do rehearsals. It's hard to record. Um, I did, we did one recording project, um, an album called period pieces and it came out in 22 because that, um, we did it in like isolation booths. We were in the studio and we all agreed just to stay in our booths all day, <laughs> bring, yeah. bring lunch and just do that. Uh, so that worked. And I, I think a lot, I know a lot of groups, a lot of colleagues did stuff like that. Um, and then t- things flipped around in 2022. 20, so yeah, the, the toughest year was 20. Yeah. Cause I had some albums come out then and there was momentum building and it was just like, you know, in terms of already having tours, things, you know, I was supposed to go to Japan, for example. No, that didn't happen. I was supposed to do some other touring domestically. That didn't happen. I was supposed to schedule some tours that didn't happen. You know, so everything got pushed, 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 pushed. So now it's coming back has been really busy. So there's, you kind of forget the, um, the tough days with
1: all the positive stuff yeah. going on now. Yeah. We certainly yeah. do. I mean, but I think the appreciation is there. I think there's a different energy and level with the audiences. Do you feel that? Oh, yeah. And
2: that was your follow up question. I know what, like, what it, how did, how did it change? Um, well, one definitely noticed that, like the different, um, audience appreciation, even in the, um, even sometimes smaller audiences can be like, I played a lot of, so, you know, sh- short coda to what I was saying. I did get to go back to Japan this summer, um, that, that 2020 tour waylaid three years and it was just amazing. It was just awesome. We played these small jazz rooms and everybody was just so, so excited and so appreciative. Um, and to be kind of up close with the music. So there's been a different, yeah, definitely been a different type of engagement. And I, for me, I think that's carved out a space for two things. One, um, To be a little bit more discerning in some ways and like the type of performances I want to do and discerning in a way of repertoire and really focusing on things that I really value and mean a lot to me and and can share share very passionately, whether it's an arrangement of a standard or, or original music, share that very authentically and passionately with an audience, which I think is going to respond better anyway. Right. And, you know, sometimes you're just doing a gig like, oh, yeah, I just couldn't do that gig at the club. and But it's a noisy jazz bar. And you're like, ah, whatever. No one's even listening to me. You can get kind of, you know, disconnected from why you do what you do and the love of it. Um, And I think that definitely, you know, I'm still in the in the love affair (laughs) of that of that space of performing like, oh, my gosh, I get to perform. This is so great. And I'm going to play my music or so and so's music that I'm in their project. That's like the excitement of like just coming back from a gig just so amped up, so just kind of naturally high from the experience
1: of just sharing music with humans. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Well, and this album has to feel good to have it out now with the live shows happening. Talk to me about how this album came together.
2: Yeah, so this project, The Five Agents, has always had kind of a um, social activist kind of underpinning in terms of the, the first album, Book of Water, um, focusing on, um, the environment and climate change, um, climate activism. And, and that's one of the bands actually that didn't get a chance to really blossom because of the pandemic, uh, from when that album came out. Um, so that was on like hiatus. And then the drummer in the band, uh, Kurt Newton, um, was able to find, um, really kind of rallied the, rallied the team and said, Hey, you know, I found some, financial supporters if we can you know you know commission you to like write another um climate action suite you know would that be would that like entice you to you know kind of steer you know because i'm often in multiple project everybody is right multiple projects multiple directions teaching trying to make pay the bills and stuff but i was like yes (laughs) like let's let's do it and it kind of re uh realign my focus on that which which is something i was very passionate about but sometimes when things get in the back burner they can stay there forever if you're not careful and so that's what happens he was really the the inspiration of getting it going um and then as i kind of did the research for the project um that's where i connected waking up like that term that phrase to um the speech of greta thunberg um at the at the un and just kind of blossomed from there um so now we're putting together so the album just dropped um, as you know, and we're putting together a, the the big focus is going to be, so the fall is just getting the album out and getting that kind of word out and kind of building some momentum there. And then the springtime is going to be, especially April, because it's Earth Month, um, do a lot of colleges, um, sorry, do a lot of performances around the East Coast to start there at a lot of colleges that are doing a lot of um, Earth Day celebrations and uh, climate activism during that month. Um, so we're con- trying to connect the music to that movement, um, also in the performance
1: space. So what are you hoping the listener gets from this album? Um, what well, I hope that the listener, well, first of all, I hope they, um,
2: think that it's really fun and surprising because it's, there's a lot of changes of, of mood and texture. Yet there is this through line of different, um, kind of motivic ideas or riffs or grooves. It's very, It's very groove based. Um, I think, but the grooves evolve and change. Um, and the featured voices evolve and change. So I think of it, even when I listen back to it, um, I think of it as this like four part interlocking 55 minute suite. Um, I think of it as this interesting journey. So I want them to be surprised. I want them to be, have fun. Um, I want them to, um, maybe think about you know i had my source materials and i had you know my space and inspiration from but it's not really I'm not trying to tell people what to think or feel right art shouldn't necessarily do that yeah. art should open a window or a door to possibilities and some contemplation and whatever that may be for for the listener i'm all about it so i you know they can read the liner notes on you know, on Bandcamp or my website or other um, digital platforms that support the text to give you to give one a background of that kind of where I was inspired from. Um But then I kind of want to let the art stand and let each listener have a relationship with it. And so for me, if anything, waking up just from the title, even if you like, if they listen on Spotify, and Spotify doesn't, you know, have us put liner notes up, right? So just like waking up okay it can mean a lot of things to a lot of people so even if they just contemplate that and listen to the journey and say like wow there's a lot of different directions this goes and they just think about all the different directions a day might go a day in the life i'm that's that would make me infinitely happy just to hear that somebody heard that record and was like it was so full of surprises almost just like any day that you wake up and you don't know what's going to happen I'm like yeah i mean that's the human life experience but and think about it you know from a social or humanity scale with climate change too. It's like, we don't know what's going to happen. So let's, let be open to possibilities.
1: So speaking of opening the door, how did this jazz journey begin for you? How did, where were you born and raised and how did you get into the jazz? Um So I was born in
2: Rochester, New York. It's in Western New York. Um And really the, the journey began for me in high school uh, when I was, I was playing guitar, but mostly like rock and blues rock. And I asked my guitar teacher, um, is there more than the pentatonic scale? <laughs> and, uh, he said, yeah, you know, uh, he had, he had gone to, uh, Berkeley in his undergrad. This, you know, this was the nineties. So I, th- I think he was very much like a jazz rock fusion-y player, like Chicoria, that type of return to forever fusion space, right? Kind of a shredder. And he said, Oh, you got to check out this Miles Davis. And I'm sure he was thinking of you know, some of the miles fusion stuff, but I went to the record store and picked up miles smiles as my first jazz record ever, um, which is a pretty confounding album. If you've never listened to jazz. And so that's where it got started. I fell in love with that, that communication that that band had and the groove and the feel. Um, so this was in high school, like I said, 16, 17 years old. And so then I went into, I decided that this was going to be my life and went to conservatory, went to grad school, and started playing and gigging and making projects and putting out albums and touring and, and building and building. So what was the first live jazz show you ever saw that blew you away? Um, the first live jazz show that really blew me away. Well, it was going to, it was going to be in high school and it was, um, Dizzy Gillespie. Um, it was a small jazz club in Rochester, New York. I wasn't even, it was a 21 plus show, but they, you know, it was like, Whatever in the mid '90s, they were just like, "You're actually here to listen to jazz? You can go in." <laughs> yeah. Um, and he's and we sat like, you know, me and my friend, my other friend in high school who was a sax player who was also into jazz, like sat right in the front row. You know, we could reach out and touch Dizzy Gillespie. Um, and we had come across some some of those early '40s like, uh, Diz and Bird records, and so just to be in the same room, you know, as as that type of history was. Just so you know gave you goosebumps at yeah. the time so that was the first transformational right because you know in the early 90s late 80s early 90s all those li- uh, so many of those living legends were still here
1: yeah 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 so what what did you glean either from seeing these masters perform or being around veterans what did you get from them that you in turn try to teach and impart to your students yes well great question how much time do you have (laughs) um
2: i would say uh this the the couple well i'm gonna pull out even even bigger um one that this is uh a very serious discipline Um, that should be, you know, treated with a lot of respect and a lot of hard work that it, that it is not easy. If anybody ever, you know, questions like, oh, you play jazz, you know, the cliches, even in the music world. I mean, I navigated it in academia or on the bandstand, you know, oh, you play jazz, you know, that's why you're late, you know, that's why you're late or whatever. Like, you know, (laughs) the old tropes, the old cliches, right. Um, that exists, um, still, and I was like, you know, regardless of how society views jazz or you or music, or whatever um, it is, you know, when you dig into it, you will realize, that, you know, that music in general is, is like a life saving power. It's a community builder. It's a tool of communication. It's a it's an expressive tool that bonds, you know, us together as a society. It has the power to heal um and to uh, and to mend differences uh and to forge relationships and just taking on that alone you know you have this great responsibility like you need to respect the the music um and the history and work so 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 hard but at the same time this music is also super joyful and a lot of fun and very empowering and it celebrates individuality so you need to take it seriously, but then, you know, something from the veterans, like they are always um, that I've got to work with or record with or see always humble and always having a blast, right? Nothing was just like, Oh, this is terrible. This sucks. Or like, mm, you know, or beating themselves up for making mistakes or something like, you know, and that's, that's all that's it, improvisation is you have to embrace the mistakes, roll with it. So that type of thing. So I'm trying to balance constantly with students or younger uh, musicians that I perform with in various projects like it's okay you know one of the one of my big pet peeves is in a uh rehearsal situation or a before performance situation is like the the excuse like oh so I'm gonna I'm not gonna be able to you know eat before you play if somebody says something like I can't I don't want to want to hear it or after the gig I'm sorry I missed that I don't it's like with my music I honestly Unless you didn't show up, then we have a problem, (laughs) right? Because then you messed up my performance. But, you know, if you're going for something and you don't get it, that's the art. That's the art. That's the edge that I love to be on. And so, um, and that's what life is all about. You got to try stuff. And so I try to impart with my students, like, master your instrument as best as you can. It's a lifelong journey of mastery. But remember that you are also trying to master, you know, this ability, this skill set of navigating the unknown. And you have to be joyful and exciting and excited about it and willing to take risks that's really tough for students who came out of like an undergrad program that you know was all about like you got to do this this is how you play this is how you play and um whether it's classical or jazz or whatever you know the idea of rules um and for me like from the players i got to play with and record with Han bennick john sakai um uh mcbee matt wilson like it's all about like Yep. You know what you know, and then just go for it. You have to go for it. Like being reserved and playing it safe is not a, that's not really living and B it's certainly not jazz music.
1: Yeah. So what is it that you like the best about being a professional musician? Um,
2: (laughs) I mean, that's easy. As you can tell, I'm very passionate about teaching and informing the next generation of, of players and whether they'd be, like I said, in my, in my projects now, the younger generation of professionals or, or the students, um, but no, no question is it's performing and getting to perform, um especially your own project or somebody else's original project where this really, you're really invested in, in their story or your story, or you're just kind of working to get, you're passionate about the repertoire. You're passionate about um the camaraderie or the music that you're making. Like if I'm not, you know, laughing on stage, um, just having a blast, then, Maybe I won't do that gig again. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. I mean, it's really, it's really that, I mean, I can't even express how elated I am when I get home from a gig or when I get off stage. Um It just like, it's more than four shots of espresso. I mean, it's so, it, I'm just so up from it. So energy Um yeah. because it's just so, I feel so alive and I w- could do that um as a guitarist. Um, as a guitarist, I'm, you know, I'm about to turn 50. Sometimes the instrument, the physicality of the instrument beats me up. Like I wake up the next morning, like I played, you know, a full, full, full four quarters of uh full court basketball or something like my butt and yeah. my back is like aching and my like shoulders are like, and my neck's all messed up. I'm like, oh man, like I, cause I played my butt off. Yeah. and um put this physical energy in and that instrument is demanding on your body like it, it's just doesn't it's not built for human ergonomics <laughs> yeah so as much as like i will pay for it the next that you know that next morning or whatever i just like go for it um in the performance i like lit i just i mean obviously i live for my family and friends and everything but like when i'm about talking about my career and craft it's, it's that moment that performing yeah so why do you love jazz Um, because there's not only room for room for me and what I want to say, um, but there's, there's room for everybody. And I love the communication about that. I love the unpredictability, um, the ability to, you know, go on stage, call a tune or play something that we've rehearsed and then still have it doesn't matter how many times you've rehearsed. You know, the, you know, just going back to like waking up, that's a very intricate album, but it's got a lot of open spaces where we're going from the printed page, the ink into composed, uh, improvised material, or sometimes the lines are super blurred where half the band might be writing, playing something, um, compose and half the band's improvising and then it overlaps and they go the people improvising are going back to the ink and the improvisers go back or yeah the people who are improvising go back to ink and the ink players go go to improvising or whatever um and i love that flexibility and i love that kind of just you know to quote to quote wayne shorter just being into that unknown you know going to that space where yeah you might have rehearsed Uh, a bunch of hours and you think it's going to go this way but as soon as you start playing whether it's in the studio or on the bandstand kind of all bets are off Mm -hmm. and some people panic about that right oh my god i'm so bad so sorry i messed up that spot like no that spot was what it needed to be today next time we play it'll be different it might be better in your mind but it'll be different and i so i just um why i love jazz so much is because it allows for that you know my before I played guitar, I played, um, saxophone, various saxophones in a lot of classical settings. And I was very good at it. I, you know, achieved, you know, all the little high school, uh, you know, achievements all state this, blah, 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 blah. But it was, it's a lot of pressure. Yeah. It made me very anxious. Um, and as soon as I picked up the guitar when I was 16, going on 17 there, I was like, Oh, now I can express myself. I was, I've always loved music and I always loved, listening to it and being a part of it and making it, but then just being an improviser um and having that. Uh, yes, it's freedom, but you, it's not just freedom because there's, there's rules. There's, you know, just like society, there's, there's rules you have to follow. So it's not about the freedom. It's about the space that's created for you to be yourself, to be an
1: individual. That's why I love about it. So, you know, obviously you saw Dizzy, which is somebody that a lot of people would love to see, is a true jazz legend. But in these modern day and times that we're in, who's somebody that you haven't seen that you would love to see perform live? Um that's a good question. <laughs>
2: um that I haven't seen so never have never seen.
1: Yeah. You've never okay. seen live but you would love to. Okay. Um well, in the non, in the
2: non jazz realm, I would love to see, but still an improviser. I would love to see Stevie Wonder. I've never seen Stevie Wonder yeah. perform. <laughs> and I've had a lot of friends who have, and they're just like, Oh yeah, you, that's, that was a bucket list moment. And it's yeah. just never worked out for me. Um, with where he was and where I was and this, that, and the other thing. Um, so that'd be somebody for sure. Um, in terms of like the, jazz players that's a that's a, cuz i've seen you know anybody who's really come through that have been like mentors or inspirations or people i've played with or that i knew i've been blessed enough to see them um and as long as they're still living i will you know when they're playing boston or somewhere in new england i will see them um, so yeah. there hasn't in terms of like the jazz world there honestly hasn't been anybody that I, that I really haven't seen that I've been, that I've missed out. I mean, I got to see Sonny Rollins. I've seen Wynton Marsalis. The list can go on from very straight ahead to big band to solo piano to, um, inside, outside yeah. Latin jazz. I, like I've really been lucky enough to be sure to pursue that, um, that community and hear the music live. So the only one that comes to the top of, top of my list is, re- is
1: literally Stevie Wonder. Okay yeah, <laughs> so let me ask you this everyone out there has a perception of you family friends fans yeah. students, but you're in control of it all. what's your perception yeah. of you who do you think you are <laughs> <laughs> that's a great question um, <laughs> are you also a therapist <laughs> that's the this is the therapy
2: hour yes yeah, I love it <laughs> all right so i can i can cancel my therapy this week that's yes. right yeah you're
1: good yeah, yeah. everything's good all right. it, it's all part of a jazz interview with two birds with one stone
2: oh thank you joe that saved me money i mean this exactly. is all good
1: yeah absolutely let the healing begin
2: yes <laughs> um so my and i mean you raise a good point that's a whole other conversation the different um yeah you, you know your uh your family your parents your your you know, your wives or husbands or partners or whatever, your kids and friends, co- music colleagues, and then students, that's a whole other different world of perception. Um And the funny thing is, is like, uh and you get like leadership positions. I have have this title of, you know, chair of a jazz department and, uh, a, you know, a band leader, a composer and band leader that's put out X amount of, you know, albums somewhere in the, I think my discography is up to like 40 something. I mean, that's a lot. Um, and so people are like, whoa, okay. So you have this perception. And then me, uh, you know, I think of myself as still a, a student of this craft. First of all, I feel inside, except in the mornings after a gig where my body feels very sore and old. Um, but, but the spirit inside me is still that youthful, um, youthful kid uh, who's, you know... In awe of the, of the mysticism and kind of spiritual, magical space that is this music, right? Of like seeing D- Dizzy Gillespie or, um, you know, f- uh, who else I see like super early on, McCoy Tyner or, uh, Art Blakey or something like that. Um, in those early, early nineties years. Um, and it's just like this match and there's, there's this reverence. So I'm still like a devoted, I see myself as a, devoted, eternal kind of student of, of kind of the magic that is, that is this music that it's like endlessly, there's endless things to learn. Um, there's endless things to communicate as an educator, like being a good learner helps me become a, uh, you know, being a good student of the, of the music and of the history helps me be not only more creative as a performer, um, but also as, as an educator. So I think my perception of me is, you know, somebody who needs to practice, uh, somebody who needs, you know, wants to carve out more time to compose, uh somebody who's um just wants to, you know, get at this music and and keep working and keep learning. Yeah. Right? Like I'd not um I don't believe anybody there are masters, but they're the, but those masters they don't call themselves tend to call themselves masters and masters tend to know that they've never mastered you know, you can't master anything. Um, and that's, that's kind of my, my ideal. There's a piece of advice that Richard Davis gave me great bass player several years ago. He was, um, teaching at Oberlin where I did my undergrad and he, um, I was always practicing in the jazz office. Cause that was my work study job doing like the, you know, typing in whatever, typing out emails for the chair and whatnot. And so, but he taught there when he came to the, the bass students. And so, He'd have to kick me out every time. So once he just, so one time the bass student and the bass, the first bass student would come in and play with me. We'd be warming up and saying, okay, I got to go lesson time. And then one day he just said, you're always here. Why don't you just stay? And, you know, a company, you know, they're working on their bass lines and stuff and feel. Why don't you just play some chords? And, and every once in a while he'd pick up their bass and play with me. I'd be like, come on, play tune, you know, play something. And, um, and uh, that was a great experience. And so it would be like the first lesson, second lesson, and whatever. Though he would come in every other week, Wednesday, and I had classes all day that day. But if we, he came and he told me to stay, I would stay for all six lessons. I'd skip the whole day. Like I'm getting six hours. I'm getting a six hour lesson with Richard Davis. Bass players thinks they're getting a great lesson. I'm getting like the like life lessons yeah. every day. And he said this one time to a student, but also to me. Oh, because he had me play Green Dolphin Street. And a bunch of different keys. He's like, don't tell me what key you're going to. Just change it. In the middle of a phrase, halfway through a bar, I don't care. Just change it. And he'd like try to follow along. And then he's like, now play something. He's like, play a tune of yours, but I don't know. Make sure something something's uh, I don't know. And I play something. And he sounded great on everything, on anything, any tempo, any key. And he said this, he said, so the base, both of us were like, wow, how did you come up with something? You know, and I don't, can't even remember now if they were like the right notes. It wasn't about the right notes. It was about using his ear and creating music and having that confidence to play something and say, this works because we say, so we agreed me and you. And he said, I don't know any tunes. Therefore I know every tune. And that little bit of Zen Buddhism, you know, that Zen wisdom, I was just like, yes, if I can ever get to that space. So that's like I mean, the perception of myself is that student still trying to not know every tune. So I can know every tune. <laughs>
1: yeah. I dig it. You know, yeah. it's funny. I, I'm, uh, going to do kind of a, um, a tribute to him this week because it passed oh. away at 93. I'm doing, yeah. uh, Andrew Hill's point of departure. Oh which my is God. Such a great album. Such a great know? album. But yeah. yeah, I've heard so many stories about how good he is. So let's get all the good details out about the new album best place to yeah. pick it up anything about live shows where can people go to figure all this out
2: okay so the best place or my preferred place i mean it's a, it's you know it's a, an album that's addressing issues of like uh climate activism and climate change and the environment and stuff so it's a digital only release um, my preferred place to check it out so folks can st- stream it and um also download it and support the artists is bandcamp it's one of my favorite platforms for Um, for independent artists. Um, and plus there you can get all the bonus materials. You can get a, you know, uh, JPEG of the album cover. Um, you get the, the liner notes and everything. You get all the details. You get to know what it is instead of Apple Music and Spotify that just gives you the, the picture and, and say my name. And then you listen to the music without the context and context is important with improvised music. So, um, Bandcamp is the preferred spot, but yes, it is globally available on all digital platforms, YouTube, Spotify, Apple everywhere, everywhere around the world. Um but Bandcamp is the artist preference. Um and then in terms of the shows, like I said, comes out in the fall, kind of try to build up um some traction. Um and then we're really looking towards like a March, April um starting with an East Coast uh tour mostly universities, um colleges you know affiliated with, you know, various um Earth Month or Earth Day events. Um, And then uh, from there, we'll kind of do
1: the next round of of touring and playing and and try to take it a little bit bigger, a little bit broader. Excellent. Hey, man, this has been great. Eric, thank you so much for opening up about the album, about your life and music. I appreciate it. Best of luck with everything.
2: Yeah, thanks, Joe. Yeah, this is really cool. You know, this is uh, uh, a little bit more kind of unexpected, very personal, kind of honest interview wasn't just about the music and i really yeah. appreciate the the, the human the
0: humanistic side of it that was awesome yeah. thanks for listening and tuning in to another neon jazz interview where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players and minds in boston kansas city and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz thanks to eric for his time energy and cool if you want to hear more neon jazz interviews you can find us on spotify and apple podcasts subscribe to us at youtube and for everything neon jazz go to the neon until next time enjoy the jazz my friends
1: Neon Jazz.